Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, thank you for listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Adam Smith, and uh, we're back for part two of our podcast today, discussing the uh, mental health struggles in academia um, and hopefully talking these through and showing that this isn't something you have to go through um, and certainly not alone. Um, thank you very much to uh, our panellists who I'm going to welcome back now. Uh, we have Dr. Katie Askew, Dr. Isabel Castano and uh, Makis Tesouros. No, got that wrong again. <laughs> okay, it was very close, very close. So thank you for coming back again. Obviously, in reality, we're carrying on talking about this subject. We're releasing this as a as a two-part podcast, purely because I think trying to talk about this in half an hour is, is just impossible. So um, I thought rather than just cut this short and make this a conversation that's not particularly helpful, we'll extend this to two 30-minute podcasts and hopefully we'll get all your thoughts um, captured. So maybe for those that haven't already listened to part one, please go away and have a listen because we're not going to do full introductions again. Um, but maybe if I could just ask you to say who you are and where you come from, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm a postdoc working at the University of Edinburgh uh, on the innate immune system in vascular cognitive impairment. Thank you, Katie. Marcus? Hi, I'm Marcus. I'm a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh and I work on Alzheimer's disease and specifically I'm looking at um, epiglial cells uh, and their interactions with synapses. And Isabel? Hi again, my name is Isabel. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Exeter, where I work on epigenetics of Alzheimer's disease using mouse models. Thank you very much all, and thank you for joining us, uh, joining us again for the second part of this podcast. Um, so if you've missed the first part, you'll be aware that the title of today's podcast is if you can't love yourself, then how the hell are you going to love your science? Colon, a semi-serious chat about self-care in academia. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Marcus, I wanted to come to you with my next question. So what kind of day-to-day -day pressures do you face practically? And, and how do you cope with this on a on a day-to-day -day basis? And we've talked a little bit before about staying outside of work but you're still in work all the time right I mean you're there a lot how do you cope with the the pressures you face and what are they so the the day-to-day -day pressures can change a lot depending on whether you're writing a paper or writing a grant or if you're having problems with some work or if your experiments are not working um so instead of going to each one individually because it's just so many of them. I think for me, what it all boils down to is how I cope with the pressures. And it doesn't matter at the end of the day what the pressure is um, or what the challenge is. So whether that is a problem that I'm having with someone or with an experiment or with not being able to focus for a day to write my thesis or write a paper, um, I think learning to be forgiving to yourself and feeling your current feelings will help you no matter what your problem is. Because it's impossible to 
it's impossible to make a list of all the problems you might face. You're going to make yourself crazy thinking about, oh, but what if this happens? What if this is the problem? What if I try to fix the problem, but then this problem arises? You can't do that. What you can do is you can bring the control back to yourself and say that, well, today I cannot focus on writing my thesis. Um, what am I feeling and what can I do today? Is today better spent by me not working that much and maybe easing myself into working on my thesis tomorrow? Or am I feeling in a mood to maybe read a paper or maybe um, plan an experiment? Even now that we can actually go into the lab, if you feel like, well, I've got this idea and I wish I could do it, write it down. You know what I mean? Um, and I agree 100% with what Katie said before. Um, the, the environment that you're surrounding yourself with plays a huge role in your mental uh, health. But I think you can also um, have a very big say in how you react to things. And it's a very hard thing to do. It takes a lot of um, self-work to get to a stage where um, the situation around you doesn't affect you as much. Um, but, you know, it's, I'm, I'm going to come back to, to, to the title we've chosen, which is for the people who don't know, it's a play on words on RuPaul's uh, mantra. That's if you can love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Which is exactly that. If you cannot be forgiving and good to yourself when things are difficult, how do you expect your work to go anywhere else other than the direction? Yeah, and, and I think you made some important points there and the, the pressures you face just are different at different times, right? I mean, when you first start your PhD, you're kind of feeling rather lost. Nobody's telling you what to do. You've got to be self-driven and then you're feeling like, oh my God, am I supposed to be doing something? Should I be reading something? I, I, I mean, somebody should need, you know, I shouldn't be here, right? Somebody's got to tell me what to do. And you're sitting there staring at your inbox or, you know, looking around at the equipment in the lab and nobody's telling you what to do. Um, and then later on, you've got the pressure of kind of, oh my goodness, it's three years is up already. I've got to write, I've got my fiber, then I've got to find a fellowship and I've got to find funding and I've got to find this. I don't want to oversell this because my background isn't in academia. You know, I worked in the NHS, I worked in the Department of Health and these are pressures other, other careers face too, right? I mean, bus drivers have their own stresses. They've got different pressures too. And I, I don't think academia is particularly special in that respect, um, but we probably talk about it a lot more than bus drivers do. Um, and, I, and I think having those strategies to cope with it are important, which actually comes to us our next point, Isabel, which is a question I'm gonna to put to you. So if you are struggling and getting demoralized and things aren't working well for you, how do you, how do you personally manage that? So Katie mentioned this as well when she runs experiments um, and I have to admit that not every time I see it clearly uh, but I found that the best thing to do is just to take a break and step away from it and again uh, highlighting that not every time I see this immediately but I, I try to keep remembering this. Um, and sometimes a few hours will suffice, other times a few days, weeks, even a holiday. 
And actually, uh, I had it recently. I think it was before be before I went I went on my honeymoon last year, in November. Um, I was doing this experiment. This was just a really simple experiment, a PCR, which I had done a million times before, and I did I think four times. It didn't work, and and it it was urgent. I had to do it, uh, but I couldn't. I went on holiday for three weeks. I came back, turned out it wasn't that urgent, nothing was on fire when I came back. I did it and the first time, bam, it worked immediately. So clearly I was just, I was tired, I was pushing myself. I just needed to take a break. Um, and actually the other thing that sometimes happens is that uh, in more severe cases, I just burn, burn, burst into tears to be honest. Uh, obviously, well, I, I say obviously, but it has happened that I did this be behind the freezers in the freezer room <laughs> when I was alone in the room, just burst into tears. But um, so one thing that I, I think yoga helped me a lot with that as well, again, coming back to yoga, but before I used to think that crying was silly. And um, today, actually, I, I have a different perspective, I think, that hiding your emotions or uh, repressing them, them, that's what's silly. And sometimes I just, I feel it's a very stressful week. I just keep uh, piling the emotions. And then in one day, I just completely break. But actually, right afterwards, I feel much better. It's, it's like I just exploded and put it everything out. Uh, and I think the important part to take from it is just that then you go and solve whatever problem you had. Um, and um, yeah, and then the other thing again, which I keep mentioning, it is yoga and meditation, but again, this is me personally, and you did ask uh, what I did. Here's <laughs> uh, a good question for you. Here's a tricky one. Is it okay to cry at work? Oh, cry at work. Um, Everybody's nodding. Because I'm, 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 you know, kind of slightly uncomfortable. Like that. I mean, I've, I haven't cried at work, but I... I had staff who have cried and I always I'm kind of slightly you know I feel uncomfortable I don't know how to deal with that I, I wonder how you people react when that is the case uh yeah I don't know so it is I would say it's okay to cry absolutely um at work it is a tricky question because I've been in both sides when someone cries in front of me sometimes it's hard you don't know what should I do? How can I? Well, in a way, you do try to help the person. So, uh, but sometimes when you realize that it's up to them, there's nothing you can do. It can be a bit overwhelming as well. I think the, the um, room on is, the other side. Sorry. I was going to say I think the room is generally in agreement that it's okay to cry at work, but somewhere private or at your desk. I would say somewhere private. I've I've Thank done you. it with someone to that you feel you can chat with. I've oh, I've almost cried in front of my supervisor, um, but I I felt so. Th that's the other thing that has been mentioned in this podcast today. Your network, oh my God, it's so important. And hearing your supervisor saying, "Well, you can cry if you need to," is one of the best things. But still, <laughs> I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. So I would say, I mean, it depends. It's up to everyone. Is different. I would I would just highlight that it's okay to cry it's okay to just go down and as long as you um, pull yourself back up I and think I, I think it's a tricky one isn't it because crying at work I think at the time you, you do it and then you'll feel anxious as hell afterwards because particularly if it was in front of a, your supervisor 
because then you're worried about has that changed their perception of the you do they now think that you aren't strong enough can you do this i mean this is is a tricky one Mackish, you had a point to make i think yeah on that so recently um i've i had been facing um a lot of like difficulties at work because um i had got a paper rejection and since then my confidence had like really been shaken and for the past few months i was not in the best place in my phd um and what that kind of happened and i think everyone's gone through that and katie kind of talked about it as well is that i just it was the first time where i felt am i supposed to be doing science maybe like i shouldn't be doing this um I'm, i just lost a bit of my excitement that i had for what i was doing and recently very recently i was having a meeting with my supervisor and she said so what you've been up to and i just stared and i was like nothing i've done nothing this past two weeks and i just i don't want to do anything and i just started crying and for me that was a very turning point in me getting better just letting it all out and feeling my feelings and just knowing that my supervisor knows exactly where i'm at i'm not trying to make anyone uncomfortable i'm not you know i'm, I'm just i'm just doing if, if i wanted to laugh i would have laughed now when i cry so i'll cry for me it's the same thing mm. um and just it was a really for me it was a really nice moment because i do have a very nice relationship with with tara and she was very nice about it and it's not really that she said anything in particular that made me feel better but the fact that she was there for me and just gave me a tissue that's what i needed in that moment and so it can be really really like a turning point if you just let yourself experience your feelings and that that comes to a good point again about supervisors i suppose crying in front of a supervisor if you've got a good supervisor it won't make any difference at all if you've got a bad supervisor it probably will and i think you'll know for yourself to be able to judge that relationship and whether this is something i mean sometimes you can't control these emotions they they just they just happen it's just there bang all over the table and and it just comes out and sometimes you can you can you know you can go find somewhere quiet to to go katie did you have something to add to that so I have cried in front of every supervisor I've ever had. Uh, Is this I, a deliberate strategy though? <laughs> it's really annoying. Like I, I cry a lot um, and that's fine. It is what it is. Um, I have cried multiple meetings with all of my PhD supervisors. One of them was like, what are you doing? Would you act like this in real life? And I was like, yeah, I probably would. Yeah, this is what I do, I cry. Um, and you know, it's super awkward and it's super embarrassing and sometimes you just can't help it. Um, I have been found crying at my desk in my postdoc by other PIs who don't know what to do with you because you're not their staff. Um, I have been found crying behind buildings, in toilets. Um, my friend Ellie and I used to go and sit and cry in the corridor during our PhDs. It happens, you know. If you're a person that cries a lot, crying at work will probably happen to you and it's embarrassing, but don't worry about it because pretty much everybody I know has been there. And you just have to kind of, yeah, Isabel's got a hand up now, Isabel's been there too. You just have to pick yourself up and say, right, okay, today's been rubbish. 
my partner and I, whenever we have a bad day, we say that we're just going to reset and go again tomorrow. Um, and that, that works for me. So if I spend a whole day crying at work, the next day I'll just get up and be like, right, yesterday sucked. Today I think, we'll I think that's a good idea. And do you know what? I, th I think you don't even have to wait for tomorrow if you like. I mean, I know sleep counts, but that kind of, I, I think one of the things we're putting, doing things tomorrow is, is you can often put things off to tomorrow. I, this is just me. I'm one of those people that will, oh, I'll do that. I'll do it tomorrow or I'll, I'll reset and I'll sleep overnight and I'll be better tomorrow. And actually then somebody pointed out to me, actually, well, you could, you, you the, the, after lunch is okay too. You know, you can go, you could go away, sit in a park, take some time, come back. Um, but, but I, I agree. The, the, the main point of that is, is it's not the end of the world. You can just start afresh. These are really good points. We're taking so long over this, but I, I'm, I'm don't want to cut this conversation down because it's, it's really useful. Um, the importance of support networks. I, I had a big question about this, but I think, you know, the problem with some of these conversations is, is you feel like so all these things are so obvious, right? Yoga, you know, resetting, setting your emotions aside, being mindful, taking time out, having good support networks, talking to people, going and seeing your GP if you need to, calling on external resources, having friends. These are all on that obvious bullet point list that we'd all write. But the big difference is, is actually doing those things, isn't it? And so I'm going to come back to you, Marcus. How do you how do you recognize these things and actually put them into place? Because this is when this, this is, I mean, sometimes Twitter is amazing because it has fantastic people in there who will help you. And also as well, sometimes it can be the worst place because you're just reading it and everybody else is so mindful and they're so amazing and they're, they're doing so great. And I, you know, I'm just one of those, um, complaining old people that just, you know, something like any of that. What do you think? No, that's a really good point. I think we need to tap into our inner intuition. I think our inner intuition is often not used as much as we should. Because when you go on Twitter and you see a post that is supposed to make you feel good, but it doesn't make you feel good, that is your inner intuition telling you, this is probably very fake. This person is trying to gain a likeliness by, by, by Twitter, by social media, and is not being genuine about it. And you know what I do in that moment? Unfollow. If it's, it doesn't matter who it is, I've unfollowed people who I know, and I just felt like, you know, this is not good for me. This is not supposed to be in my life. And it shouldn't be in my life. It's up to me and it's supposed to be me, the person who just says, this is the limit. And I do not accept anything that's making me feel a certain way. So I think, I think real life networks, right? Real life networks have got to be better than virtual ones. And I think if you are using virtual networks, I think you just have to be cautious about whether they because they can be good and bad and and where if you're seeking you know a pick me up or a pat on the back or a come on you do better well done 
they can be good for getting yourself a, a what's the word, a, a, the American phrase, that boy. They can be good for getting that, aren't they? But equally then posting and saying, oh, I'm having a terrible day. Are the replies saying, oh, come on, get up, you'll be fine, you're doing amazing. Are they, do you find those helpful? Katie, you, um, I'm not, I wasn't singling you out as one of those people. Though. And I did just check that Mackie still follows me on Twitter. I am being single that's one of these people because I had a terrible day yesterday um, and I spent my morning crying on my living room floor so (laughs) I put this on Twitter because like I I used to be one of those people that only put the positive stuff on social media because you know it's nice for people to pat you on and be like yeah you're doing really well well done look at you you're great what a great human being um and then i was like actually i went through a phase where i couldn't think of anything positive to put on there because everything sucked not everything sucked but things sucked yeah Um, and yeah i mean i i think it's two there's two questions here one is the use of twitter as networking presentation of yourself realism of social media which is a whole different ball game and the second is having a support network that will you know, have your back when things are tough. Um, Mm. And I want to talk about the second thing more than the Twitter thing, because I have a lot of thoughts about that. That It's a total side note. Um, I mean, everyone that replied to me yesterday was lovely. Thank you all. Obviously, it's not going to be real life yesterday for people who are listening to this. This is back in April. Um, But I think having even just one person who will have your back regardless of what's going on, whether you've made a mistake, whether someone else has made a mistake is really important. And I think Isabel, Mackis and I are in a position where we've spent a lot of time working on our mental health and figuring stuff out and getting ourselves into the position we're in today. There are gonna be people listening who aren't there and who don't even remotely know where to start with this. And who are like, well, these people are talking about mental health, but they all seem really put together. So actually, this doesn't reflect how I'm feeling. Um, And I, I, you know, I want to acknowledge that because it sucks thinking everyone else has their stuff together and you're in, you know, a downward spiral and you don't know the way out of it. Um, For me, um, I started with you know, one person that I went to. I had a postdoc during my PhD. And when things were going bad with work, I went to him. And then I had my PhD friends here in my cohort that I went to for personal stuff. And, you know, this has developed over time. Um, In Edinburgh, I have a group of postdocs and PhD friends I'll go to when things are going bad in the lab. Um, I obviously talk to my partner a lot about stuff. I've got PhD pal Sarah, who I mentioned earlier, who I message every day about random things. Um, And I think I've always been quite lucky to be in the position where I'm in a lab and there's a lot of people to talk to. And there's always someone that I could go to if I had a problem. There are some people where it's just them in their group. They are the only PhD student of a young PI and they haven't got anyone they can go to. So they're struggling through things alone or they're the only postdoc struggling through it alone and don't feel like they can talk to anyone or they're in a group where a lot of the lab is really tight knit and they feel like they're on the outskirts. And, you know, if, if you're in that position, you're not limited to your lab 
there will be people in your building, there'll be people in the university that you can talk to, whether that's in a formal or an informal setting. Um, now as a postdoc, if there are PhD students in other labs, you know, I like to talk. You may have noticed that I talk a lot in podcasts and in real life. Um, and I like to think that makes me quite approachable because I will just chat at you until you feel comfortable replying. Um, so, you know, I do this to people that I think might not have someone to talk to. And then eventually they will either come and talk to me about stuff or they won't. And it just takes one thing. You just need to go up to one person and be like, hey, I know you're busy. I'm also busy, but I'm having a hard time. Can we get a coffee? And most postdocs and other PhD students won't turn you away for that. Um, because we all like a coffee break and we've all been there, you know, even if we're not in your exact position, we've either done PhD or we're doing a PhD and we've had crappy days. We've had problems with supervisors, we've had problems with colleagues, like everybody has experienced trials and tribulations with research. So, you know, there are a lot of people who will want to help you out because they know how it feels. And if they didn't have somebody in that situation, they want to make sure that nobody else feels like that. Um, so it's reaching out is super hard. Don't get me wrong. It took me a really long time to be okay with going up to someone and being like, Hey, I've got a problem. Everything's bad. Please help me. And I'm still not always great at doing this. Um, so even if you can't do it in person, send them an email, put a little post in it on their desk. That's a bit old school, but you know, also, if, if you see someone who looks like they're having a hard time, ask them if they're okay. You know, there's a student that sits near me in my office now. And the other night, not the other night, this was a while ago, we were both in the office late. And she was sat there and just looked absolutely miserable. So I was like, are you okay? And we sat for an hour talking about stuff that was going wrong with her PhD. And, you know, she hadn't had anyone else in the lab to talk to about that. And if I hadn't asked, she would have just sat there by herself stewing in the stuff that was going on. So if you're doing okay and you see someone that's struggling, reach out to them, you know, or just, just check in with your people. I'm going to just do one more round the table just to, just to ask you to make any final key points that you think are, are important, your kind of key takeaways. I, I think just to pick up on the things that I reflected on, certainly it sounds like having outside of work interests is important and creating that separation where you can. Um, it, it's okay to have periods of time when you are more involved with work, if that makes you feel better about yourself, but not to the point then that it becomes all you're about. Um, turning your phone off to work emails is okay too, particularly on a weekend and evenings, um, some form of, I'm gonna say yoga, I was gonna say meditation. Do you both meditate as well? Or is yoga your is your meditation? So yoga um, is come up a lot in this. Yoga, um, video games are okay too. Um, to to escape support networks are clearly very important. Um, it's okay to use Twitter as I think as long as you're you're aware that you're using Twitter, and and that that comes with kind of good things and bad things and some people like to share some people don't and i think that's okay it, it has its uses but i think proper support networks are more important knowing somebody having somebody to talk to and being one of those kind of people who is willing to be talked to uh, to chat to somebody else i think 
I mean, I do this once in a while, you'll be kind of sat there thinking, I haven't spoken to that person for a while. I haven't seen from, let's just, you know, drop them a WhatsApp to say, hey, how are you? And I think being one of those kind of people, if you've gone through, if you're going through so many of these struggles with health, and I think everybody does, and it's great we're able to talk about this, but being one of those people that's willing to just reach out and, and be an ear is helpful. Um, supervisors are important. We separate topic for that, but I think um, I think what you can be really cautious of, as James Quinn did in our webinar last week, is choosing the right supervisor. And if you know you are the kind of person who who struggles with anxiety, that that has problems, that does kind of take work home with you it's important that you find the supervisor that you chat about those things up front that you don't suddenly become surprised when this supervisor isn't very understanding because well what did you expect right i mean you'd met them before go talk to their other phd students or their other fellows before you choose your supervisor and choose carefully and find the right supervisor for you because i think by doing that we'll hopefully get the bad ones to improve when nobody wants to work for them right <laughs> I, I i say that terribly um so those these are all key things that i think i've picked up on from our our conversation here it's okay to be emotional think about that uh, you know sometimes you can and can't manage that and how you do how you use that and play that out is i think down to each one of us to work out and I'm going to go around the table for some final points. So I'm going to come back to you, Isabel, first. So one thing that I just wanted to add is the importance of talking about it. And that's why we're doing this webinar as well, this um, podcast. I'm already <laughs> using the wrong words. Um, but I feel in, in, sometimes I feel in a position where should I be uh, because exposing myself in a way, talking about depression and anxiety and the importance of being emotional. But on the other hand, you want to feel good and be in a workplace that accepts you how you are. So I think it's really important that everyone is talking about it and uh, touching on the point that Katie made, made about reaching out to people. And my final thought, I think, is don't ever think you're alone because you're not. Uh, and this, I, I often forget about this and it takes two minutes to reach out to someone and then their concerns are exactly the same that I have. So I, yeah, I think this is really important. Thanks, Isabel. Uh, Makis, last point. Yes, just from what Isabel said about not being alone, I always come back to, um, there's this musical called Into the Woods and I love musicals. So in Into the Woods, there's a song that's, uh, that's called No One Is Alone. And it's, true I always go back to when I when I feel a certain way when I feel lonely I think I'm not alone because no one is alone and it's just it's, it's just having those little checkpoints in your mind when you see yourself going into those darker th thoughts snap out of it be like share snap out of it just wake up and tell yourself okay, I'm going now to a part of my mind that I don't really like. Do something that, that just will, will get you out of that. And you know best what works for you. But just to bring, bring it back to that, people will relate to honesty. So whether you are deciding to share your feelings on Twitter or with another person in real life, 
people will relate to honesty. So if you choose to share emotions that society has deemed taboo, like being sad or being depressed or being anxious, don't care about what they're saying. If you're feeling this way, people, people will see that and will say, yeah, I, I feel that. I know exactly what you're saying. And that's the point I was trying to make before, that if you're trying to convince the world that you're happy, then just do the best you can to be happy. Don't try to convince them. Do it. That's important point. Um, Katie, quick final one from you. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's just important to recognise that what you're feeling is always valid, you know. Don't compare your level of anxiety or mental health or whatever to anybody else's, you know, because all of us have different reasons and different triggers and different things underlie the way we feel and none of those are invalid. Um, so as much as you can, just... This is another Adrian thing. Accept where you are today. You know, you've just, you kind of just have to feel your way through it. And that's fine. Like it might take an hour, it might take a day, it might take a couple of months, but you will be okay. And there are people that will support you. And, you know, I don't know if the other two agree with this, but I will be one of those people on the internet. If you want to message somebody just to say, I feel like crap, can we talk? Go for it. Happy to chat. Thank you, Katie. And thank you all so much for contributing. Obviously, some of these things are difficult to discuss, but I think it's important that, uh, that they are discussed. And it's really fantastic that all of you have been so open and willing to share. And, and I hope this podcast has been useful to some people out there. Um, I think everybody um, goes through anxiety and these stresses in their own personal way and experiences these things differently. And some people like to talk and some don't, but I, I thank you ever so much, everybody here. And I hope somebody out there, if you are struggling, please do, um, please do talk to somebody. There will be some information with the podcast on where you can talk to external if you want to. I think your own institution will also have support there for you. Really, you shouldn't feel bad about drawing on that support. It is there and do talk to a friend family members colleagues and and your pis as well they aren't all gruesome i think some are very nice as i'm sure you you know so thank you very much again it's time to end today's podcast before i go i just want to add that as i said before if any of our listeners have had problems with these topics we've discussed today help is out there please don't struggle on alone um i'd like to thank our panelists uh isabel uh Katie and Mackis. Uh, we have profiles on contact details <laughs> on all of our panelists on our website, including that of their Twitter accounts. Uh, we'll also link to information on their work. If listeners have any questions, we also have a WhatsApp community group, which is also there, um, which you can certainly use that group to talk through some of the work challenges you might be facing. Um, there's over a hundred early career researchers in this group now who are all super supportive and, and very happy to chat through both personal and professional issues that you might face. And, and we have lots of discussions on there. So please do join that. The details on how to join are on our website. We also have a new webinar series where we're talking about some of these things. So, please look at that too. Finally, remember to like, subscribe and review our podcast through our website on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud, 
pretty much anywhere where you can find podcasts. And um, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today. And uh, we'll come back to you again in two weeks' time with our next podcast. Thank you. Brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.